innovation, being open to what are the trends and how do the trends within your industry fit to the niche market that you're going to and that a lot of the trends or a lot of the follow the next big thing might not be the best path. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Eric Schmitz, who is the president at California Athletic Clubs. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Good talking with you. Awesome. Well, uh, as you got, you and I were just talking about a second ago, it's not often we get to bring somebody on who's been in an industry that has been in for subscription literally for decades. I mean, this is one of the OG subscription businesses, athletic clubs, right up there with AAA and magazines and things like that. So excited to dive into that today. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, the athletic health club field, like, right, we were sort of one of the founders of having to like, resell your customers every month yep. to want to buy your business and being in the industry about 35 years, I've done everything and learned a lot about the membership subscription model, what works, what doesn't work and how it can be a great way to run a business. And probably one thing that's a little bit different is that obviously, right, we're brick and mortar subscription businesses. We're not online, so that can be different. But I think when it comes down to it, if you're offering your niche market the value that they're looking for, you're going to get retention or repeat customers. In our industry, that's like a main thing, right? Because the cost of customer acquisition is much higher than maintaining a customer. So we look at retention as like one of the main KPIs that we're monitoring from a month to month basis. And we're fortunate in that within our industry, probably over the last maybe like eight years, it's sort of like bifurcated where there's high price point and low price point. Anything in the middle sort of didn't really work out. We're on the high end and we're one that sort of like, unlike some subscription models where if you don't really use it, it's not that big of a deal. That's a lot of times in the low price model of the athletic club business. That's sort of what they're hoping for. Yep. They're selling, you know, 6,000 memberships to a small fitness place. And they're really hoping that you don't go. We're the total opposite. Our okay. prices range from like 79 to 330 based on what type of membership. And we really want people to utilize their membership because the more they use it engagement yeah the, the more there's you know high level of engagement the more they're going to retain them and that for us that's sort of the name of the game is you know can you get to that level of retention our industry wide it's a, probably around 60 to 65 percent and we're higher just because we're a higher price point that's inherent with the higher price point you're going to get higher retention and the types of things that we offer are definitely higher retention before we dive any further into that, and there's a lot we can unpack there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, how you came to be at California Athletic Club? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I was going to University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm a Badger. And like early on, I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. I know it was sort of something related to medicine, the body. And I was walking through a building on campus one spring and I saw this flyer for a triathlon. So back then that had to be 1985. It was sort of new. And I'm like, wow, that seems interesting. So I totally got ready. I trained 
for the triathlon. It was a local triathlon in a lake in Madison, and then he ran and biked around the lake. And I did it and really enjoyed it. And then I was sort of next fall figuring, okay, what am I going to do in school? And I found that campus that I was at had a program in exercise science or exercise physiology. So I got a degree in that, was really active in doing triathlons. And at that time, it was really big in California. So right after school, I had a really good friend that had moved to California earlier. I moved to California and situated in Santa Barbara, started doing triathlons, went to work in an athletic club, and then just have sort of over the years done everything and sort of moved up the ladder in the way of management. I started on the fitness floor, and now I work as president of seven athletic clubs. And it's interesting, you think of a canned response, but it's so true, like working in the field that I work in, you can have such a positive effect on people's lives that like literally that's why so many people sort of stay in this profession, right? There's been a lot of growth in health and fitness prior to COVID. COVID really decimated our industry to where 25% of clubs like permanently closed by the end of 2021 and more so with studios at a higher percent closing. We were lucky in that we have a lot of outdoor space for tennis, swim, fitness, so it didn't affect us that much. So I just sort of stayed in an industry that I really liked. I loved being of service and just sort of, so like on a larger scale, I'm sort of doing what I started, literally helping people and being of service. And back to no matter what subscription model you have, if you have that fundamental core value of being of service, That is so valuable to the extent where our organization is super values driven. We really try to stay focused on our values and make the decisions of our operations on values. And again, it seems sort of like this can, you know, in response, but in a subscription business, if it's just online, that would be sort of tough to do, right? Like, how are you going to do that? It would be easier to do in our type of subscription business where you're interacting with people and you know, there's a lot of additional chances to show your values. So yeah, just working in this industry, have done everything, have seen it gone through a lot of growth and have seen tons of additional players come into this field, you know, large venture capital that are sort of trying to take advantage of, if you have a successful fitness business, it can be good. So we've really tried to be authentic and really taking care of our employees and basically sort of being like the local club, almost like a cheers feel, right? Where you're getting really good, you're getting taken care of really well by the membership team, the employees. So yeah, ultimately it's all about relationships. Yeah. It feels like this was one of the earliest definitions of the words membership club, Yep, where it is that club feel, right? You're a part of something, you're a member. Yes. It's a recurring relationship. You're paying every month or whatever, but you feel like you're a part of something, right? Right. And that is the main determinant of retention. And obviously, again, Mm -hmm. because we're brick and mortar, it would be easier for us to create an experience and environment that allows our members to connect with each other and be part of a community. But that would be something, obviously all subscription businesses, like how can you do that in your niche, in your way to increase engagement Online, it's different, but just that fundamental need of humans being part of a group, being part of a tribe is sort of like the driver of like our business model. 
Yeah. Well, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. You were talking about price point and how you guys sit at the high end and then there's this lo- there's this lower end of things. I think probably for a lot of people when they first think about athletic clubs or fitness clubs, they probably think of that low end in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that are yep. national or regional and they come in and it's like, what, $5 to join and $10 a month or something really low. Usually like, yeah. Or nothing. Yep. Or nothing, right. And high pressure sales. And then, of course, extremely difficult to cancel is, has always been the perception in that space. Can you talk a little bit about that, about why you think that is and kind of their model versus what you guys are doing at California Athletic Clubs? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I ask myself sometimes, why are they doing it? Why are they creating so much friction in the cancellation process as well as just sort of like how they operate. And in a lot of ways, some of the real low price fitness models, like literally it's like a fitness laundromat, right? Where you're just going in, there's minimal staffing. Probably they're making, or their business model based on human nature in that everyone has great intentions to exercise regularly, but like 80% don't, it's like the 80-20. You know, 20% of the population is actively exercising. Everyone knows we're exercising. The 80% that don't, that would be sort of like a easy sell to get that person to consistently renew because it's at such a low price point. That's why it's priced so low that, you know, you're not even concerned with it going on because you think you're going to use it in the future. Right. And, you know, I think that, right, like I talked about earlier, there is a big difference between sort of some of the things that happen within this industry with low price point versus the higher end boutique places. A lot of people have had bad experiences with the low price point because of the things that you mentioned, making it really hard to cancel. You know, it's ACH only, you can't use credit card, not great customer service. And why they do it, I I would think that they're doing it to sell the franchises, right? And I think certain franchises are successful within their organization, some aren't. I think it's all to scale, right? It's all like you have to have so many members to go or to be to sign up and then make it hard to quit. Yeah. Yeah. I disagree with that business model. It works for a lot of fitness clubs. They do that. But again, we're completely opposite. We're month to month where you just need to give 30 days cancellation notice. Try to make it as frictionless as possible. But at the same time, we do want to have some interaction with that individual before they cancel just to find out like, hey, where did we go wrong? Are there things that we could have done differently or could do differently now to get you back on your routine of exercise? As we all know, everyone should do it. And one thing that we also do that is interesting that we've had a lot of success with is from a standpoint of customer feedback, we use sort of an offshoot of Medallia. You know, Medallia is like one of the main players in NPS and customer experience management. So we use that for the fitness industry and have great success finding out like what are the things that we need to do to change based on what our customers want. And that would be a recommendation to all subscription businesses. Like how are you getting feedback from your customers? And then are you sort of humble enough to look at it objectively and sort of change sort of to what they want, obviously without it hurting the business, right? You need to be open-minded. Yeah. And that would apply to any, you know, it's not just put it up there and think it's going to work. You have to actively be managing it. Right. Well, every time uh, we talk about customer feedback here, I always follow that up with, how are you gathering the feedback and why do you trust it also? Because I've seen before these questionnaires that are put in a cancel flow 
that are sometimes put in the end of a couple of save options. And by the time your customer gets there, they're probably pissed off and they're just clicking buttons. So who knows what feedback you're actually getting. So how are you guys gathering that? So what this company, this offshoot of Medallia called MXM, what we do is a digital survey, online survey is sent every 90 days to someone that's actively using the membership. So they have to be checking in at the front desk prior to working out. All right. You know, so you're getting like, you're actively using customers. You're not getting the ones that aren't using it. And then there's a short questionnaire that it allows them to rate you know, all areas of the business, including NPS, cleanliness, friendliness, all the different departments. And then we look at the data in aggregate over time. How are we doing compared to last year? What we usually look 90 days back. And then, you know, what are the things that we can legitimately change to make our business better? And what are like the no-goes, right? Because yeah, you're going to get people that are asking for things out of the world. But one thing that's great about closing the loop as it relates to getting feedback and solving the problem is 99% of the time, the members that actually get even if it's a digital response back from the general manager, that they have taken time to listen to what their problem is, their concern is, their suggestion is, and that they're actually taking action on it. Like that is huge in building relationships and again, stickiness, getting more engagement. So I couldn't, you know, there are so many tools that you can utilize NPS on and, you know, is NPS sort of outdated? So one could argue that, right? But just having that response back like here's a perfect example that I went through. You know, I purchased some clothes online. I mean, this really isn't necessarily a subscription thing, but the reason why I'm saying is like, there was a problem. I have not gotten my order. I'm like, wait, what's going on? I'm trying to find out the tracking and everything. And I sent an email. It was like just to support. And the person got back within like 15 minutes and was like really nice in the email and really personable. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. And they accepted what the problem was, you know, like, hey, we really screwed up type thing. So just even in this world, everyone's going to get, or most people are going to get their messages back digitally. Just having that communication, being professional with the communication. And again, with online subscription stuff, that could be hard sometimes, right? Like what is your system to do that? How, you know, are you making sure you're doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Are you making sure you're doing that? Because that's where you're going to get referrals, right? Absolutely. For our industry, that's the biggest source of new businesses, referrals. Mm -hmm. Hey, come to XYZ Club. They're really nice to me there, and I think you'd like it. So we save a lot on marketing just by using, you know, having referrals be a big part of our new member acquisition. Are there any incentives there for existing members to make referrals? Yeah, usually the one that we've had the most success with would be we would sort of like partner with a local restaurant, purchase a certain amount of like gift certificates at that restaurant at a discount, knowing the demographics of our clubs would work well, right, in their restaurants. Yeah. And then if you would refer your friend and they join, you could get a gift certificate to a local restaurant. You know, trying to keep it local. Yeah. You know, they see, wow, you guys have good demographics. Yeah, that would be great if they could come in, you know, and have dinner. So that one, I mean, we've tried a lot of different things and the industry tries a lot of things, but that one, for whatever reason, is really sticky and people really like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty creative yeah. too, you know, to think of, uh, that's great for them, right? These are people who then right. come into their restaurant and maybe some of them are new, they get to like it, of course, become repeat customers. Any other sort of partnerships like that that you guys have looked into? We've done some with like, yeah, restaurants, local, like organic food places. Then the other thing is like swag, you know, t-shirts, you know, branding stuff for your location. 
gym bag, you know, if you refer, you get that. Another one that has also been effective is, okay, your friend joins, we'll give you like a $5 dues credit per month as long as your friend still remains a member. So like you're getting a discount and that's an incentive to yeah. be working out with your friend sure. for you guys to have fun together. Mm -hmm. And then you get just get a little credit on your dues as long as your friend stays a member. And that's worked well too. That's probably been the second most successful one we've done over the years. Yeah, that one makes a lot of sense. I think there was a mobile phone company that did something pretty similar, right? Where you could keep getting a discount for every person you referred on an ongoing basis as long as they stayed a member. But I mean, what better way right. to incentivize evangelists than to be like, you can continue working this down. Well, if you bring on 100 people, hey, that's benefits for everybody, right? Right. And that's what you'll get the people that are you in, in media, you call them the main promoter, right? They're just like yeah. telling everybody how great it is. And yeah, so it works really well. Yeah. Go back to a second. You were talking about the survey that goes out to active users every 90 days. So you're looking at your engaged customers and right. seeking feedback from them. What about disengaged customers? Yeah. So what we'll do there is we'll send out communications monthly based on, you know, here are all the things that are going on. We can also send, you know, this is like a good question because, right, do you wake the sleeping dog? Do you want to actively be communicating with the people that aren't using your business. Two things. One of the things that's been most effective when we'll do that, you know, like non-user campaign is we'll, you'll sort of like, it'll come from the manager or like the department head of the program we're offering. Like, hey, Mr. Smith, just to let you know that we're gonna do like a 30 day simple exercise and nutrition program. You know, it's starting September 15th. We would love to have you come aboard for our loyal members. We'll give you a discount. So it's not like saying, wait, you're not using it. Like what's wrong? It's like inviting them to be part of the community and hopefully get them over the hump of, of not being active, but like personalizing it. Right. Yes, they're the sleeping dead, but the reality is at some point they're going to cancel, right? They'll figure it out. They'll remember it'll, they'll get reminded some way and they're going to cancel. So better off to try to engage with them, get them into that active user base than to just wait for the day that they're going to cancel. Right. Right. And it's definitely, and one thing is that talking about like zombie revenue or like COVID, like clean that out, obviously like unbelievably. Yeah. Everyone, you know, just like where everyone was at, like in California, we were closed for only about two months and we had outside stuff. But in some ways that was good because you did have the non-users. Yeah, they're still paying, but right. It's like, how long are they going to stay? So a lot of those people left. So we're, you know, our check-ins are up, usage is up. We're like on some of these calls, we're like above pre-COVID levels because yeah, you don't want, we're again, we're so opposite of that HVLP high volume, low price model that literally doesn't want you to work out. I mean, that's sort of stereotypical yeah. of that model. Not everyone does that. We want everyone to use the facility, to be exercising, to be around their community. And that's even more important than ever post COVID, right? To be connected to your community of a place where you can feel comfortable. And it's not like you're having this in-depth relationship, but you just see your friends and in a healthy place post COVID is like super important. Well, I mean, to that point, what percentage of the workforce, I don't know this number, that went from working in an office to working either permanently at home or in a hybrid situation, right? And that social interaction isn't what it used to be. And I think this is a good example of the type of thing where this is where they're getting it now. This is their, this is a big part of community. 
Exactly. And what's interesting is a lot of, I'm in sort of like a business roundtable and some of the clubs that have tons of square footage indoors are converting maybe space that really wasn't utilized a lot to have it be sort of work from home space. So if people are working remotely, that's mm-hmm. also a place where an opportunity for us to increase member usage because everyone wants to exercise. Everyone needs to exercise, not everyone wants to. But then having a shared workspace so that connection or being around people but not necessarily being in the office is an option and people actually really have responded well to that. Wow, that's a pretty innovative idea that kind of takes that one step further, brings them in not only for the community of the facility itself, but taking that a step further and say, hey, work here too, right? That's uh, quite a concept. Yeah, it's sort of like mini WeWorks in clubs, you know, that have enough square footage. Yeah, right. And you, clubs yep. are doing it a little bit differently, but they're having great success with it. Yeah, because it makes sense. Because then, yep. then if you have food service, they're going to eat there and drink there. So it's a sure. good thing from a business standpoint, too. Right. We talked about COVID a little bit there, and you said it kind of wiped out a lot of the dormant customers. Take us a little bit deeper into that. I mean, what were you seeing in terms of your engaged customers? Were they like, as soon as I can get the opportunity to go back, you know, the restrictions get lifted, I want to come back right away. So therefore, I'm going to keep my membership going. Or what did you see your customer base doing through that time? That's a great question. What we saw, which was surprising, was we have such good retention and our staff takes care of our members so well that a lot of the members even when we were shut down, continue to pay the dues for the health of the business to make sure that the employees got paid. So that was really good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then then you're getting your like less cautious or less worried about COVID people that are super into exercise. Obviously those people came back the quickest, but also in California, fortunate to have climate that allowed us to move a lot of our fitness equipment outside so that was huge for getting more people to come back quicker because they felt safe outside in order to exercise and not COVID was really not an issue and then also we had you know outdoor swimming pools and outdoor tennis so again we were lucky and i think you know even it's interesting i'll look at all the medallia surveys of all the clubs and even to today there are some people that haven't come back because they're worried about COVID, you know, elderly or secondary medical conditions. Because if you think about it, for our industry, there literally could have been nothing worse than COVID. Like, are you kidding me? Like, okay, there's an airborne virus and your business is, you know, they think of like a spinning studio, like, okay, you're going to work out as hard as you can and there's going to be people close to you. So yeah, as an industry, wow, like it was tough of the clubs that were adaptable and could pivot and not freak out too much that really served them well during covid and then yeah you had your early adopters of coming back to the club as quick as possible either you know weren't sort of tied weren't as into covid as the messaging or weren't as concerned with it and then the people slowly came back but again we were super fortunate because we had a lot of stuff outside which was unusual for clubs a lot of clubs weren't able to do that It's interesting to hear you say that because every time I feel like I ask that question on this show, especially to e-commerce subscription merchants, it was COVID was a boon, right? Right, Everything went online and all of our subscription products started flying off the shelves or whatever our services. But yeah, that was probably a very unique challenge for you. But I thought it was very interesting that you had customers who wanted to keep paying just to know that your club was going to make it through and be there on the other side. Because to your point, so many ended up closing and not making it through that. That's Those are some very interesting stats there. Yeah, just really good customers. 
customer engagement. And it's interesting within our industry, the subscription aspects of fitness, obviously that really increased over COVID. And like Peloton's a perfect example, right? They could do nothing wrong during COVID, but subsequently it's been a big challenge because they felt that the traditional fitness industry was gonna completely die, that it wasn't gonna exist at all. But time has shown that that wasn't true, that human interaction, human connection within proximity of each other, the value of that is like huge. Nothing against Peloton, but compared to, you know, doing all of your workouts just from a video screen, that's like a big difference. So yeah, all of obviously the digital subscription fitness services that exploded during COVID and it's still going well, Yeah. but it's like some of them dropped down because there are definitely more answers than just doing fitness digitally. Yeah, absolutely. And just like working from home, there were people that wanted to do that, were happy with that, want to keep doing that. And then there were others who wanted to come back in. I think probably in your industry, and Peloton is a good example of that, people did that out of necessity because that was about the only option or one of the few options to save it. But that wasn't never the long-term plan for them. It was just none of us knew when this was going to end. So that seemed like the best plan for a while. So that trajectory that they were on was never sustainable for the long term. Oh, totally. Yeah. I should have sold my stock earlier. No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you've been doing subscriptions for 35 years. Let's touch on a couple of lessons that you've learned along the way. And, you know, some of the things that make running a subscription recurring revenue business different from a transactional model. Can you highlight some of those lessons for us? Yeah, I think fundamentally you have to deliver the value commensurate with what you're charging. And to do that from our industry can be very, it can be challenging and very expensive, right? To run clubs can be very expensive. But, so you have to have the value. You have to be listening to the feedback from your customers. And then you have to be in sort of that mindset of Kanai. You have to constantly be improving what you're offering in order to keep yourself relevant on your customer's mind to keep adding to the value. Because if you think about it, like we've always had to resell what you're doing every month. So in addition to those things, because we're brick and mortar, focusing on developing a super customer and employee centric culture where you can have great employees be successful is just gonna add to that, you know, sort of the renewal aspect of it. Yeah, I would say innovation, being open to what are the trends and how do the trends within your industry fit to the niche market that you're going to and that a lot of the trends or a lot of the follow the next big thing might not be the best path to go to really vet what you're doing vet what you're trying oh one thing that we do that's really interesting is we'll do what are called rifle shots we just call them rifle shots it's where you would try something new and not have a high cost to the new thing to really see how it goes. And then if you get good feedback and if it's going well, then invest deeply in it. And you could do that with any subscription business, right? Find something additional that you could sell to your customers, not go all in, but testing things out to see, you know, if it's working and then invest heavily if it's successful to try to get more, you know, revenue per month per customer. Absolutely. I mean, I talk about that all the time. I've seen many others as well talk about these do small tests, right? Don't go all in until you've got some data to support it. Do you have any example there of something that worked that you started with a kind of a small group and blew it out? 
Oh yeah, this would be a good one. I mean, it's sort of an industry trend, but like in our, in the tennis world, right? You know, tennis has been around forever. It's sort of been flat. And so we're actively converting tennis courts to pickleball courts. So pickleball has been on the rise, right? I knew that's where you were going. Yeah, we sort of held a little bit, but it's definitely growing. And the good thing about pickleball is it brings in a slightly different cut, or it has the opportunity to bring in a slightly different customer because bigger audience. You know, yeah, yeah, bigger audience, low barrier to entry, quick escalation to be able to play effectively. So we started out by just doing one court at one club, seeing how it's gone, mm-hmm. and then learn from what we did, and then push that out to all the other clubs, knowing that actually COVID was good for tennis because it really helped tennis. Right. You know, because people were able to play out. I mean, especially if you have outdoor courts, play outside and be far yeah, away from right. each other. So that wasn't, you know, tennis got better as a result of COVID. But just this pickleball craze of, it's just different. It's a different animal, but it's definitely grown. And after testing it out at a couple clubs, we're bringing it across all the clubs. Really? Wow. Yeah, it, it's an addictive sport. I've done it a few times. I was a tennis player before, but, you know, pickleball. And you can bring so many people into it. It's fun to play in doubles. It's definitely interesting. And for our business where I can't think immediately like how this could transfer to existing subscription because it's more of a real estate thing. But like on a normal tennis court, you know, you, only, you can have doubles. You can have four people. But on most tennis courts, you can convert it to four pickleball courts. So then you have 16 yeah. people utilizing the same real estate so like you can up the number of members that you have again how that could relate to a subscription business i don't know but like that's just like a you wouldn't think of it as a thing but like that's a huge thing because tennis courts take up like 7500 square feet so they take up a lot of space and that's just like a, a great thing yeah right do you guys do fitness and tennis memberships separate or fitness with tennis or is it one fee for kind of the whole facility Yes. So we do a little bit traditional pricing model at these clubs in that we will have tiered pricing. We'll have swim and health, which would be swim and fitness as the bottom end pricing. And then depending upon the club about how much of a pickleball program we would have, we would have pickleball be the middle tier. And then the high tier would be tennis. And then each tier would have, you know, single couple family within that tier. That's sort of like the traditional pricing model of tennis health and fitness clubs then we do you know then we'll do what we call non-dues revenue tennis lessons swim lessons camp personal training all those things in addition to the dues and the dues are sort of like the bread and butter of our business because there's not tons of payroll directly associated with those dues where if you have non-dues revenue, personal training stuff, you obviously you have to pay a good commission to keep good people. But when you have a customer that is really sticky and utilizing non-dues revenues, swim lessons, tennis lessons, you know, personal training, they're always going to stay longer because you create more and deeper relationships with the staff. So that's like the best thing, the more non-dues revenue you can have. Yeah, absolutely. To your point, though, there is high labor costs typically associated with delivering that. But I'm curious, too, one of the things that I love about subscription and transactional models when you're able to deliver both at the same time is kind of this frictionless payment experience that I like to call it, not unlike Uber, where you've already got a payment method stored on file, right? Because they're paying their dues. Are you guys charging them separately or having them pay separately for the one-time charges? Or is it, no, we'll we'll just add that onto your monthly payment when we go to process it? Yeah, so what we do, again, a little bit traditional, is 
We'll do monthly billing to members. So all of the charges or transactions that would happen within the day, be it, you know, food, personal training session, that just gets billed to their account. And then at the end of the month, they'll do a one-time ACH or a credit card. Yeah. Obviously guests and so forth will have, obviously they'll do the transaction at that time that they're there. But yeah, we'll bill to account and then it just gets billed once a month. Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned you guys are offering credit card and ACH both, right, as payment options? Right, which is interesting. And one of the things that I think a lot of the high volume, low price model does well, this would be hard with ours because they always want to get points on their credit cards is the only option is ACH. And that saves a lot of money. So I've been trying to figure out how to do that on our clubs. It's difficult because the majority of our customers are paying via credit card and they really love the points and the benefits that they get on the credit card. A lot of times you will offer an incentive, either reduced dues or something, like a gift card or something to go to ACH, but it's we're sort of, yeah, our members are somewhat resistant to that. So if you have no option when you join, then it's never a problem, but we, we sort of got to get to that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a huge, in any business, the credit card fees can be huge, yeah. Right. Well, and again, if you're talking about $10 a month, the points on a credit card are kind of inconsequential, but you know, you get up there a couple hundred dollars a month, but that can actually mean something. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Eric, this has been a fun conversation. You've certainly shared a lot of great lessons along the way. If any of our listeners have questions based upon what we talked about today or want to learn more about California athletic clubs, where can they go? Our website is caclubs.com and you could learn more about the clubs there. And any questions to me, you could just email me directly. My email is eschmitz at caclubs.com. So it's E-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z at C-A-C-L-U-B-S.com. And I'll be happy to answer any questions. Awesome. And thank you so much, Nick, for having me on the podcast. Yeah, Eric, thanks so much. Again, appreciate all of the insights today. It's been a fun conversation. All righty, take care. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.